up and Jonathan Joseph comes straight through the middle. Got Mike Brown to beat as the last line of defence and here goes Joseph. Joseph's going to get over. Watson goes on the outside. Oh, Watson goes Hello and welcome to the Bath Rugby Plug, the rugby podcast by the fans for the fans, plugging the boys in blue, black and white. My name is Gable and I am joined on this occasion down the line by my good friend and fellow Bath fan Tom. Tom, how are you mate? Very good, thanks. Yeah, I got, uh, got called away um, from uh, the great city of Bath this week, so, um, so uh, yeah, joining you, joining you by phone today. And, and, and you were at the great city of Bath, did you say, on Friday night to watch uh, Bath's latest defeat against Saracens. Tell us a little bit, uh, before we get into the game, in a little bit more detail, about your, your experience on, on Friday night. Yeah, it, it was great, actually. I had a, I had a really good evening. Um, sort of the city was, was buzzing uh, before and after uh, the game. It was an absolutely freezing evening. I was slightly ill-prepared for it, actually. Uh, and sat there, sat there, sort of shivering uh, for, for for quite a lot of the game. But uh, yeah, it, it was a good atmosphere. Um, I know you, um, you you disagree with me here, G, but I think a lot of Bath fans there, and myself included to some extent, um, were potentially pleasantly surprised, particularly with how we particularly with how we started the game. But ultimately, um, to lose to Saracens by what what was it, thirteen points, and only concede that one try, I think many people on the night. Um, saw as a, a sort of victory in part, um, such as sort of uh, the mood among among Bath fans, uh, given our given our current form. Yeah, I think we'll come on to that in a little bit more detail when when you analyse the game and kind of where where that leaves us. And just before you come back in, Tom, still to come on the podcast, what we've got coming up on the podcast is a big review of that Saracens game. We're also going to talk Bath United, Bath's latest injury update, and then preview uh, the trip of the visit of Clement Auvergne on another Friday night for Bath on that this upcoming Friday. But first of all, let's get into that Saracens game, Tom. And I think some of the kind of pessimism leading into the game w- was based on that team selection. And presumably you went uh, to the wreck with, with some bad grace, given your, your, your comments on our previous podcast. Yeah, I, I was particularly frustrated with the selection, actually, and particularly the lack of explanation, as we've, shown, as we've said so many times, about these missing players who you think should be making the, the 15 and certainly the, the 23. I think, um, you know, as a first point, the balance of the back row was always going to be so important. Um, and I thought selecting Josh Bayliss at, at blindside flanker was, was slightly odd. Um, you know, he's never really played um, in that position um, for, for Bath, at least not for the first team. Um, and then Francois Lowe, again, at eight. It was clear, I think, that the, the, the game plan was to, uh, to attack the breakdown. Um, we didn't really get the right side of, of the referee, Carl Dixon, in the end and ultimately conceded quite a lot of penalties at, uh, at the breakdown. But I think, you know, when you've got the likes of Tom Ellis, um, Levi Douglas um, and Mike Williams, who, who in particular I've been impressed with, all of whom are playing really well in that blindside flanker shirt, particularly on a Friday night when it's freezing conditions, um, where that's going to be so important. I, yeah, I was, I was, I was disappointed to, um, to, 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 to see those guys not, not turn out, particularly as Douglas um, uh, turned out for Bath United against, against Saracens the, 
the following day. Yeah, I think with the the balance of the breakdown, a point that I made on on the previous podcast when we we previewed this Saracens game was that a tactic we may look to go with was to pick was was to be to pick those three jacklers, those three sevens, as you mentioned, in Bayless, Underhill, and Low, and try and dominate that that breakdown, especially if they, which they did, pick a lock at six in Itodje. And I think you mentioned that I was slightly more disappointed than, than yourself and, and, and the majority of other Bath fans in, in the performances because I feel like in the areas where we could exploit, which, which uh, exploit Saracens, which is the breakdown and, and the scrum, which is something we'll come on to in a little bit more detail later on. But in that breakdown was an area where they'd obviously targeted and thought, if we can get on the right side of there, we can dominate field position, dominate territory, dominate possession. And, and, and that's an area where we could win the game. And I think that is such a big reason why I was so disappointed is because we just didn't have the edge in that area. And whether that was the interpretation of Dixon, as you say, or, or just the nouse and savviness of, of some of those Saracens guys, they, they, in the end, dominated that area. And that was so frustrating from my point of view. Yeah, and, um, you know, when you get slow ball at the breakdown, when you're getting penalised at the breakdown, it makes it all the more difficult for your scrum half and ultimately your, your fly half to, to distribute ball and try and get things get things going. But that, that was the other area, really. Again, um, making a double switch at 9 and 10, uh, bringing back in Will Chudley um, along with Reese Policeland. Um, and d- disappointed, again, we've said a few times that we'd like to see, in particular, Freddie Burns get given a bit of a go. But it seems... You know, the, the coaching staff seem intent on um, either selecting the players based on the conditions or the opposition, or to be honest, just rotating them, which, um, as we've said so many times, a lack of consistency in selection, having two quarterbacks, um, mm. uh, you know, really, really doesn't help us um, in that area, Jay. Yeah, rotation, sorry to harbour this point if you think we are listeners, but rotation's, I guess, okay in certain areas, particularly the the pack and the front row, but rotation at halfback is completely and utterly pointless. I play scrum half myself and there's no way I need rotating. I barely make a tackle all game and I know they play a much higher level and do much more physical contact, but I'm sorry, you don't need to rotate those players. Consistency in selection is absolutely key and, and and the selection of Priestland as it did with you Tom really not because it's Priestland necessarily I just think that consistency and we've, we've spoken about it so many times so so let's move on to, to talk about the game in a little bit more detail Tom uh, and an area of, of positivity I guess is where I'm going to start this and that was the restarts uh, and it's an area somehow we, we kind of got a lot better at this week and starting um, from from our first reception restart, McNally took a great ball uh, high in the air. And I think the use of, of, of Rory McConaughey, a guy who hasn't had a lot of ball since he's come back from England, but the use of him in, in those restarts to chase those shorter kicks from Priestland and put a lot of pressure on, on particularly Maro Itodje was really impressive. And I guess strange to start on a positive given how negative I felt about the game ultimately. But the restarts right from the off, Tom, uh, an area we've been looking for improvement look like they had improved yeah absolutely and how many times on this podcast both this season and last season have we said you know we've needed possession from the restart suddenly we're um, on the back foot back pedaling and, and defending in the first couple of minutes mm. um, and the other concede you know we concede points in the in the first few minutes of the game which ultimately sets the tone and means that we're always chasing the game I thought we started really brightly as you say great restart from from Josh McAnally, the exit was good as well. Um, the, the, the chase on the kick, uh, and then suddenly we, you know, we had a Saracens had a scrum, um, a, a sort of outside their twenty-two, and we got the penalty 
our way on that occasion, which again set the tone in that area at the scrum where ultimately we were we were fairly dominant uh, throughout the game. So yeah, I thought that was uh, I thought that was good, and certainly uh, I think an area that that we've been working on. Maybe that's Neil Hatley uh, coming back <laughs> in, uh, and uh, introducing a bit of structure to to an area where um, you know has looked uh, has, has looked a bit. Um, uh, you know, has looked a bit sort of uh, uncontrolled, shall we say? Yeah, I guess sort of. You want structure in those areas when when you're receiving the ball, structure around your lifter, structure around your lifting pod. But I guess when you're when you're kicking the ball, you want sort of chaos and to create to disturb the structure of the opposition. I think McConaughey did that so well in kind of getting in the face of Itoje in particular, as I mentioned. I think they did point that out a couple of times on the broadcast. The B team team. The BT team did uh, so, that, so. That was really positive. What were your What were your thoughts, generally speaking, Tom, uh, about the first half performance? We went into to halftime trailing nine sixteen. Were you feeling at that point? You were feeling cold, we know, but were you feeling optimistic that we could we could make a comeback? Um, I think we we let it slip to be honest in the last sort of five ten minutes of that half. The first half an hour was was really bright. As I say, we were we were dominant and set piece. Um, we, um, I, I guess, made Saracens uh, make silly errors, both conceding penalties and losing the ball. Um, Reese Priestman kicked all, kicked all his points, and suddenly, half an hour in, you know, we find ourselves uh, with a line on the five metre line, a real opportunity uh, to go thirteen six ahead. Um, and you know, we throw, we just don't execute. Um, throw to the front of the of, of the line out. Saracens don't compete, and so drive us towards the touchline. We end up crabbing round um, and sort of resorting to a to a pick and go game, and um, you know when you've got the I, I thought um, as an aside we did really well in the collisions generally, but when you've got seven um, or six sorry internationals uh, coming back uh, fresh and ready to make an impact for Saracens, obviously given what's um, been going on the news at, at, at Saris, and seventeen out of the the, the full twenty three um, having international honours, it's always going to be difficult. Um, to penetrate such a well-schooled defence with with that sort of blunt attack, mm. um, and and you know we made um, we sort of crabs around um, sideways on the five meter line, then sort of threw it out to the backs a bit. I think we had twenty four phases, mm. um, and ultimately were driven back to behind our our twenty two, um, and then then we got the penalty again from another Saracens error. And I thought this was kind of the strange um, part of the atmosphere at the refugee. That penalty was greeted with enormous cheers from everyone. Um, you know, people sitting around me sort of saying, you know, we're, how, how well we're doing and, and, and that we're pulling ahead. Ultimately, that was a kind of disappointing outcome for me. We've been driven back 25 metres. Yeah, we we're, yeah we conceded the... Uh, yeah, yeah, we got the three points. But ultimately, we weren't really showing any ambition at all. We were just waiting for Saracen to commit an error um, so that we could we could kick goal. So it was, it was that from that point on, really, that I think Saracens realised that we weren't going to be able to penetrate their defence, no matter what we did, really. They'd soaked up everything we had to offer for that first half an hour. And sure enough, um, they got some good ball and were able to execute, were able to penetrate our defensive line. And ultimately, the Sean Maitland try uh, five minutes before half-time was, was the difference and meant, as I said before, that we were just chasing the game going to the second half at, at 16-9. Yeah, I, I think you're actually spot on, Tom. I, I think it's sort of a combination of their attack, uh, their defence, sorry, being so strong and our attack being extremely blunt meant that we were we were so 
unclinical if that's a word in that first half we we had opportunities and yet we made absolutely nothing on them nothing of them and ultimately ended up taking points and when they had their sort of one opportunity as you say there I think that's more not necessarily our poor defense but their clinicality in attack knowing the right uh, ball to play knowing the where the space is and and then utilizing that space through their playmakers who had a far stronger game than our supposed playmakers had on the field use moving that ball into the space created by line breaks was ultimately the difference in the two sides attack and 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 that contrast in clinicality between Saracens and Bath was was the difference and I thought we played okay as you say in that that first half we we probably ultimately had had the upper hand in general I don't uh, have the hand the the stats uh, in terms of possession and territory but about about two-thirds of both possession and um, and and field position. So wow, yeah, you're absolutely right. That, that's why I have you on, mate. You can sort of add the meat 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 to my bones. But yeah, it felt like we 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 had the upper hand, and and ultimately going in behind like we did. It just proved how much more clinical I keep saying that word they were uh, and that's sort of how I th- felt and, and and they were quite sloppy this is another reason I feel like I was slightly disappointed in the ultimate outcome but particularly in that first half it felt like they they started quite sloppily uh, for example Jamie George throwing I think it was his first line out in not straight really uncharacteristic mistake from, from a guy that's normally so accurate with his darts and they made 13 turnovers in the game and, and most of them didn't well if not all of them didn't come at the breakdowns we spoke about an area where we really struggled most of them was them dropping balls giving silly balls away and I think uh, their sort of sloppiness and uh, and lack of precision uh, for most of the game was why I was so disappointed because I felt like Saracens on Friday night were almost there for the taking we spoke about how difficult this opportunity was going to be for Bath if all these England players came back and fired but for mine money they didn't fire a guy like Billy Vunapola was massively off form I felt like and has been for a little while but I just felt like that was why I was so disappointed because it, it it turned out in my mind to be an opportunity to certainly get something from the game and, and potentially even win it. And and, and yeah, sorry to, to labour on on that point, but that's why I think I, I was ultimately so disappointed. I completely agree. And I think the disappointment, you know, comes from what could have been. Mm. And it would have been fantastic if we'd been able to, um, you know, turn over Saracens after all, after, you know, everything in the news and the lead up to the game about their international players going back and wanting to sort of make a point and stand up for their club. It would have been, uh, it would have been brilliant, particularly with the guys that we've got missing. If we've been able to to turn them over, and I think mm. we we could have done it on a mm. different day. Um, but just back back to your point on on line speed. And I think you know, I completely agree that some of those players, particularly Vunapola, um, are out of form. However, I think with with Saracens, you're always going to get line speed, and there are there are certain tens. You know, the best tens, Farrell. Um, and particularly for guys like Ford and Cipriani. And that's line speed is Christmas come early for them because one guy flies up the line too much, they take it to the line, um, they spot a little gap, um, as they did with the little Duncan Taylor um, sort of inside ball um, that, that ultimately led to the to the try. And and we're ultimately just not equipped to do that with, with Priestend at 10. Um, and, and Roberts at 12 as well, who I thought actually had a, a relatively decent game. Um, but but those guys just aren't equipped to take the ball to the line and and create opportunities in the way that you know the best teams in the Premiership are. Mm. You look at Northampton Saints and and how they've completely mm. turned around 
um, what was looking like a pretty average squad and with pretty average prospects. They're now playing really freely um, with ball in hand, with you know a young fly half pulling the strings, um, or at least a creative and ambitious fly half pulling the strings. And I just look at that and think if we've been able to um, if we've been able to piece that part of the puzzle into our game plan on on Saturday night, we'd be looking at a wholly different performance and a potentially different result. Yeah, I think it's probably a good time now then, Tom, to, to come on to a little discussion about our attack, which has been the downfall of our season so far. And I've got a few thoughts on this and I'll, I'll sort of bring you in um, later on when, when, I've, when I've sort of given them, uh, tried my best to give, to, give, to give you to them. I, I think you're absolutely right about... Our attack was just so telegraphed in that there's just sort of a forward runner who takes it off nine. He has a forward runner next to him there for a simple pass, a short pass carrying. Always got a, 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 a supposed playmaker, which I'm going to call our, our, our playmakers because they don't make any plays, in behind him, usually Priestland on Friday night, who then, t- if it goes to him, takes it and, and ships it on to, to, to a gleeful Saracens defense and i just worry about the the the, the game plan and, and the system and the structure that's being put in place as you say that the the defense the defense of saracens is built around that that quick line speed that flying up from from the 13 channel often duncan taylor brad barrett they fly up they they make you run back into their massive forwards exactly where they want you to go and they they don't let you get outside of that 13 channel and so surely tom i'm no professional coach but surely therefore an option is an attacking kick over the top an attacking kick to exploit perhaps richard wigglesworth's lack of pace in in his in his sort of as he's getting older in, in his career or an, a, a fragile what appears to be fragile Elliot Daly a kick over the top but yet Bath's first attacking kick was on the 65th minute what are these players being told to do surely in the week that is something you you kind of speak about well, it's, it's crazy as well because you know we, we talk about the the change in personnel but the attacking system should be the same for a club whoever's playing it with mm. it. and we you know, after the, the Harlequins game, we, we spoke about exactly this, that, that Freddie Burns was, was going to, to the crossfield kick too much, I think because you know, it was clearly a game plan that, that we'd, we'd set out against, against Harlequins after, after Clermont had, um, had exploited it so well in their, in their victory in the, in the Champions Cup. So, to, as you say, to, 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 to disregard that as, a, as an attacking weapon particularly when, when you've got the, the guys in the, in the 13 channel absolutely flying up um, and, and when they're prime, basically, for, um, for, for that kind of thing. Seems, seems crazy to me. And, and oh, what, what, just put a point back to you. I think with the attack, the, the frustrating thing is that, yes, there's the line speed, um, but Priestland sits relatively flat when he gets the ball. What I'd like to see, and, and what George Ford and, and Cipriani um, do so well is start a bit deeper and actually attack the line at pace because otherwise you get in a situation where you know a stray pass doesn't quite go to hand or um, you know isn't quite as, as accurate as, as as you want it to be and suddenly you've got guys standing still with the defender already on them just trying to ship it along the line mm. ultimately a ball goes to the ground Saracens are on the front foot and pounce on it or kick it ahead um, th- th- there's just no pace on the attack um, and I think you know any any attacking move, um, and G, you'll probably know this better than me, but any attacking move is so much harder to defend against um, when it's done at real pace as mm. opposed to sort of 50%. Yeah, and I, I guess now moving on to a point about 
our attack more more generally, Tom. And we haven't conce- we haven't exceeded twenty two points yet so far in a game this season. Henry Bay actually tweeted that he's been to two games this season and he's yet to see a Bath rugby line break. And it's been three out this, sorry, these stats I'm I'm getting from, I think it was uh, the hashtag rugby Bath Twitter account, which which kind of illuminated a lot of the thoughts that that I was having towards our attack. But it's been three hours now since our last try, which was against Ulster. In the first five premiership matches, we've scored six tries. Five have been by forwards, three of which have been by the now injury-stricken Zach Mercer. The one one by a back was a, a sort of fluke break by Will Chudley. Just to compare this to, to, to last season, but Bath's last season, first five premiership games, by that point we'd scored 14 tries. So eight more than we, we, we have now. Five have been by forwards, so, so a similar sort of number, but nine by back. So eight more tries by back. And I'm afraid by backs. And I'm afraid our attack is not getting any better. And the buck has to stop at, 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 at some point with, with the coaching. And, and Gervin Dempsey's a guy, Tom, that, that we kind of joke a little bit about on this podcast about uh, the whereabouts of that so-called majestic playbook or whatever, whatever word was to describe this apparent playbook he was bringing over with him from, from Leinster. But I'm so, he's had time at this point. He's had two seasons now to create the, the, this attacking structure. And it doesn't seem to be like he's doesn't seem to me to be like he, he's put in place a structure where these incredibly talented backs and we have got some incredibly talented backs can can, can, can sort of come into their own. And it, I feel a bit sorry for, 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 for at this point for someone like Stuart Hooper, who, who's a guy that, that's come under and is coming under now increasing criticism, increasingly unfair criticism as a director of rugby who isn't involved as hands on in the coaching as a lot of other director directors of rugby are. And, and he isn't. He's certainly not hands-on with the attacking play of the backs. And unfortunately, that is Gervin Dempsey's remit. That is what he's at the club to do. And there needs to be more accountability. It's always Hooper that's pushed in front of the cameras after a disappointing loss. And I know the buck has to stop with him as the director of rugby. But at some point, Tom, there needs to be some accountability towards what Gervin Dempsey, and I don't want to sort of pick on him as uh, individually, but what the coaches generally are bringing to, to, to this attack. Because at the moment, moment it's massively where where we're being let down and we're going to do nothing this season if it continues this way yeah and you mentioned Zach Mercer and he's been the outstanding attacking threat um I think across the forwards and the backs in the last uh the last season and a bit but you remember G the other player who um who, who did particularly well at the Bath Rugby Plug end of season awards uh last season was Rory McConaughey mm. You know, he was he was incre- he was a revelation last season. As we all know, he went to Japan, um, lived happily ever after. But how many times did he get the ball against mm. against Saracens? How many times did did Rocky get the ball against against Saracens? How many times did did Tom Homer, who I thought was outstanding, um, actually by the way, get the ball when it wasn't kicked back to him? The answer is very very few times. We you know we were either taking, as you say, one up runners um, uh, uh, who who are often isolated. Um, often not a particular pace and massively telegraphed by by the defence, or it's kind of Priestin gets the ball um, out the back and just it gives it to to kind of a big runner or a um, you know or, or Max Wright or, or Jamie Roberts. So we need to use these attacking weapons, and and you know there'll be excuses around um, guys being injured and you know the conditions um, in in a number of the games we've played. Um, haven't been great. We played a couple of times on on Friday nights as well, which tend to tend to be 
um, lower scoring affairs. But all that aside, you're uh, you're you're completely right, G. And 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 you know there is something um, right going on at the club. I know we're gonna we're gonna come on to it, but um, Bath United, a lot of the young guys that we've been talking about a lot, Gabe Hammer Webb, um, Tom De Glamble is a guy that I've mentioned um, many times, um, turning out for for Sarah, uh, for Bath United against Saracens. And you know they scored four tries um, in a in a losing um, effort against uh, a strong Saracen Storm side. And when you think that's one fewer try than we've managed to to, to, to get over our first team's managed to get over the line in in five Premiership games, it's uh, um, it's quite a sobering thought and. Um, to bring the example of, of Northampton Saints again, James Grayson coming through, coming through the ranks and, and, and starting to pull the strings at ten, and what that's done to uh, to, to their attack. It took a new face um, to come in in the form of Chris Boyd to shake things up, to to pick um, his his better the players he thought could could translate um, performances into into wins for Saints. And I think that Stuart Hooper, if this continues, really does need to pin his colours. To a mask, to to to, his, to a mask a little bit, make his impression on it, um, and I'd love to see those guys getting getting more of a more of a run. To be honest, yeah. Just a final point on this attack, and I apologise if 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 my previous kind of monologue came across a little bit of a, an angry rant. I didn't sort of mean it to be like that, but I'm I'm sorry. A lot of what you're saying there, Tom, is ultimately just excuses. The Friday night thing, the conditions thing. I, it gets to a point where when I kind of stop buying it and and just think something's not there and something isn't good enough. You mentioned about Hooper. I know Dempsey will feed into the selection decisions. He'll have you know he'll have significant input into that. But surely Hooper can see that switching the the nine ten combination the nine ten partnership every game isn't a recipe for for um, uh, you know a good attacking structure. No matter how good your playbook is. No. Yeah. I don't think Hooper's blameless in this whole situation, but I do think at the moment he he's receiving the lion's share, if not all, of the blame for for Bart's inabilities to, to to convert what appear to be occasional positives into into good results. And 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 Dempsey's a guy who we we haven't really heard a great deal of. He gives off the impression that he's kind of a bit of an introvert in front in front of the cameras, and it would be nice, I guess, is what I'm saying, is for, for for those guys to take a little bit more accountability and step up and 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 just maybe I don't know face the media or, or give an explanation, which would probably be an, an excuse, but I guess take some of the heat off Hooper because it's ultimately not his area, and it massively is, is Dempsey's area, and it, it, it's it's um it's just not good enough at the moment, Tom. Uh, but let's let's move on to, to to an area where where I I feel like I often concentrate my my thoughts on, and it's an area where I know you concentrate a lot of your thoughts on, uh, be that during the game, during the podcast, or just during the week at work, and that's the scrum. Um, so 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 talk me through what you thought of the scrum battle, an intriguing scrum scrum battle, an area where we felt certainly like we were going to get the dominance. Did we get that dominance in the end? I think it was. I think we maybe got the edge of it, particularly um, in the first uh, 30, 40 minutes. I thought we were um, we were we were on top of on top of them at scrum time, which was um, incredibly impressive given the um, the international experience of, of Vuna, Marco Vunapola, Jamie George, and um, and Titi Lamasatelli. I thought absolutely fantastic work from from those two. We saw the the sort of second choice front row of Walker. Uh, Judge and Lewis Boyce struggle last week against Quinns, and we saw the impact that 
that those three guys coming off the bench on that occasion uh, had. Um, and they're developing into into a really cohesive, uh, well-balanced unit, actually. I was having a look at, um, you know, again, some of the stats for, for those three guys. Benno Urbano, one of the top one of the top carriers um, in the in the side, uh, forwards and backs. He's really one of the, the guys who can actually make a bit of an impact on the game line. He's, his, his feet are, are underrated. He steps out of tackles um, in, a, in a, a maybe a slightly more slow motion um, version of a Zach Mercer run um, and, and can uh, and sort of uh, often beats a couple of men um, for, uh, with ball in hand. Tom Dunn, as ever, uh, the work rate on, on Tom Dunn, absolute tackling machine, uh, as, as he demonstrated again on, 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 on Friday night, top tackler, in the side with 17 tackles uh, and an incredible sort of low driving hit on on Maro Atoje, which he won't be wanting to he won't be wanting to, to see again. And then Will Stewart, who has been a revelation this mm. season. So far. You can see why Di Young was so uh, was so adamant that he wanted to keep him at Wasps. He's been he's he's been fantastic. Uh, again, uh, the cornerstone of the pack being in the tight head, coming on, um, dominating. Um, Mako Vunapola in the in the early exchanges. Mako did get a couple back against him, but you know, against a man of that of that caliber, uh, Will Stewart can be can be really proud of himself. And and it appears uh, that you've added something, Tom, to the agenda. It says here, throw to you for accountable prediction about Will Stewart. So, well, what is that prediction? Well, thanks for taking me up. We've been, you know, from a from an England point of view, we've been um, there's been quite a lot of discussion, particularly at the World Cup. Around um, around who will be the second choice tight head? Dan Cole ultimately came in and filled that role, but really struggled in the, in the <laughs> final, as 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 we saw under 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 Neil Halley's tutelage. Um, Harry Williams has been the other one um, who who, all, who who's been actually been linked with a move. Actually, uh, I, I saw to to Bath with his with his contract being up um, being up at Exeter at the end of this season. But obviously, that's that's sort of very much hearsay. At, at this point, and I do think there's there's a place in the England squad for a young, uh, promising tight end. So yeah, I'm gonna gonna sort of throw my hat in the in the ring. I think given what I've seen from from Will Stewart, he's been on BT Sport quite a few times. He's done really well, um, really well when he's played on TV. I think he's got a really good shot, G, of of at least getting in the wider England squad for for the Six Nations. And I think it would be it would be thoroughly thoroughly deserved. So, accountable prediction from Tom is that Will Stewart in the in the England the wider England squad, which is a bit of a cop out from what you were telling me earlier in the week, but the wider England squad well, for no, the Six right, Nations, thirty one man, man. man England squad for the Six Nations twenty twenty. So watch this space and watch listen on to the podcast because my accountable prediction is coming slightly later. The one point I'll make on the scrum time, it's certainly not my area of expertise. And well, on Friday night, it wasn't Kyle Dixon's area of expertise either from my point of view. But I just don't understand why why we took Ben Urbano off on, on, on 51 minutes. I know that it was to, to sort of coincide with where when Titi Lamasatelli came off. But these rehearsed substitutions, I just don't really see the point of it, especially when a guy is, is having a really, really strong game um, in the tight and in the loose. Can you shed into any light on to, to why we may have done that? No, I think, I think it was a strange one. Um, I, was, I was disappointed to see him come off. I've, I've enjoyed um, the way they've rotated the three and the three. I think mm. that's, that's worked well. Um, uh, I don't know whether there was a niggle or 
um, or there was anything else watching live, it was kind of difficult to uh, to tell. But yeah, it was it was uh, sort of disappointing to see him him sort of removed so early, and he actually looked relatively fresh when he was when he was walking off, which was. Um, which was uh, which which was which was sort of even more disappointing. Which was certainly not the case when when Mako Vinopola came off the the Saracens. Lou said, <laughs> "Is that describing him or, or his ears by the end of the uh, night?" Yes, we love, we love Mako, but um, yeah, he looked he looked like he, he was he was spent when he came off. Right, um, a couple of a uh, couple of thought, final thoughts from me about this game. Uh, Tom, before I throw it to you to give to give your final thoughts, and my my final thoughts are actually going to be about two of uh, two of Bath's back rowers, one positive, one negative actually, and, and I'll start with the negative. And I don't think Sam Underhill is back to his marauding best for Bath. Obviously, an extremely strong. Uh, World Cup campaign combining there with Curry in that six and seven shirt for England, which was one of England's strengths throughout the competition. But he just feels like he's. This may be a kind of wider point about all of the guys that have been rushed back from England duty, but he just feels like he's slightly not on his best game. And highlighted for me by the fact that he was in that seven jersey in a back row of all three sort of traditional sevens. And, and he was often quite slow off the base of the scrum, something which you've mentioned to me in the past, Tom. And it allowed guys like Duncan Taylor to run directly at someone like Reese Priestland, whose strongest area is certainly not his tackling. So I, I guess a kind of negative on Underhill and, and, and an understandable negative, I think, based on how much rugby he, he, he sort of played uh, recently. If, if that's the case, give the guy a rest. Sure. Oh, I agree, but it doesn't seem to be the way it's going. Uh, and and then finally, a positive, a positive to end this kind of review of the Saracens game from from me, Tom. And that's on Josh Bayless. And just one area in particular where I'm really impressed with him. You mentioned he's a workhorse. He gets through tackles. He gets through a lot of carries, in particular in comparison to, to to the rest of our pack. But his feet in contact on a couple of occasions. He's obviously quite a slight guy for for a back rower, but he often can just faint the other way and break a tackle in that way and I was really impressed with with that area of his game and another workman a workman likes a bit harsh but another tireless performance I think from Bayless so then my kind of final thoughts on the game a game where I was ultimately pretty disappointed but I guess looking at the bigger picture it could have been a lot worse yeah um, the only other guy that I mentioned briefly but I'll, I'll come back to him um, now, just to finish, is, is Tom Homer. Mm. Um, as I said, he didn't get the ball much when when we had the ball, uh, but he was he was brilliant from fullback. Actually, um, he's always goes quietly under the radar and, and puts in cracking performances when when he is um, when he can string a few a few games games together. I thought with against the sides um, with multiple kickers, experienced kickers uh, mm. in, in 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 the fifteen. Um, you know conditions like that, where kicking game is or and territory game is really, really important. When you've got Wigglesworth, Daly, and Farrell all kicking and, and pinning you back, um, and Rocco Duguni, who potentially is not always the best positional winger, I thought Homer had a fantastic game. Mm. He marshalled um, the, the back three really well. He kicked effectively, uh, and he and he counterattacked with a couple of uh, just to counter Henry's point, a couple of a couple of half line breaks, shall we say. Um, to, to running back at, at Saracens. So for me, he was um, uh, outside the front row, boys. He was the outstanding player on the game. And I think 
you know, the fact that we had 60, 65% territory during during the game and ultimately gave ourselves opportunities to get on the board was was largely down to him. So, uh, fingers crossed he stays fit. Um, obviously, with with Anthony Watson away for 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 some time now. Yeah, I think on home, I think you're spot on. Particularly that that break when he made that 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 incisive break. Uh, one of the, if not the most exciting moment from from Bath's otherwise turgid attack w- was a really promising moment, and he was outstanding collecting high balls and the the rest. I, the one negative I would say, and I don't want to sound like always negatives about this, but it's when, beard. pardon me, beard. No, his beard is shocking. But um, when when Homer does play. And and it, and Roberts plays at twelve. I do feel like the onus then comes exclusively down to Priestland as a playmaker, as a first receiver from from scrum half. And I guess it puts more pressure on his shoulders. And we can't necessarily spread the field uh, on both sides of a of a breakdown if we've only got that one f- uh, sort of first receiver. And that's not certainly not the strongest part of, of Homer's otherwise really, really strong games, you say, Tom. So that'd be the only point I would say, but I completely agree that, that he had a really strong game counter, counter-attacking and collecting high balls in particular. Right. Um, just before we move on from, from, from this game uh, and the, the uh, Aviva, no, the Gallagher Premiership in general, Tom, it's just a, a point I want to make about our upcoming run of, of fixtures. Um, so obviously we now go into a double header against Clement Auvergne, but after that, our Premiership run of fixtures goes like this: so London Irish, Sale, Gloucester, then two more Champions Cup games against Harlequins and Ulster, obviously, and then Leicester Tigers, Worcester, Quinns, and Bristol. Now I know the Premiership this season is a is a really jumbled affair. Teams like Bristol, London Irish, Sale. At the, uh, an end of the table, maybe where you weren't expecting teams like Gloucester and Leicester, certainly, and Saracens, obviously, for different reasons, uh, 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 the the other the other end of the table. But that, to me, Tom, feels like a, a run of games in December and January where we can really stamp our authority. We, we've played Exeter and Saracens now. We can really stamp our authority on the league and potentially go on a little bit of a run, which will see us rise in, in a really congested in congested Premiership table. Oh, I mean, I, you know, I respect your your optimism there. Kind of, <laughs> I think, I, I, I think you're, you're, you're right. If we can get a couple of a couple of wins there, um, the, the table's so congested that we'll we'll find ourselves kind of in a, in a good position and crucially sort of clear of uh, what's going on down the bottom with um, Saracens hunting Leicester and, um, and and London Irish kind of nowhere near there, which is kind of I think worrying um, worrying everyone really because. Um, you know who is ultimately gonna gonna go down, but but you're right. There's there's a couple of crucial games there. So mm. London Irish on the 22nd um, in, at the Majeski is is a crucial one. I think it, you know it's going to be tougher than we first anticipated when we looked at the looked at the fixture list. But if you remember back to back to last season, we beat Wasps away at the Rico just before Christmas, mm. um, and that was a massively important win, I think, because a we sort of um, built some confidence going into sort of the break that the players have. Um, around Christmas and and New Year, and and B, we got an all important away win, um, uh, you know, which is which is obviously massively important given the the form we've we've um, we've had we've had away from home. Um, then I presume it's sale at the wreck, is it? Yeah, sale at the wreck on the twenty eighth. 
So that's normally an absolutely awful game. I think there's been a couple of kind of six sixes, and, and there was a six three, I think, the last time at the AJ Bell. Um, so, yeah, those teams never gel particularly well. Um, and, you know, obviously, Sale have been massively bolstered with um, what looks like about half of the South African population going down to, <laughs> going down to, to Salford. So, um, so, yeah, it's. Um, that, that could be that could be a tough game, but you know, sales away records not not particularly good. They're a much stronger side at, at home. So again, we, one we've got to got to be fancying, and then um, and then Leicester and Quinns again. Well, you know, Leicester, Worcester, then Quinns. So again, you've got to fancy yourself to get at least at least probably probably two of those. I, I think is it. Le- are they away or at home, Jim? Um, <laughs> I've got them written down here. I'm not 100 percent sure. You'll have, to, you'll have to check, but yeah, certainly Irish away, Sale home, Gloucester away, and then uh, yeah, Tigers, Worcester, Quinns, Bristol. So I'm not sure exactly on the home and away uh, kind of uh, like details on that. And presumably, it's, it's going to be a difficult one because it, it'll be really interesting to see the team that we we put forward for for Claremont. Mm. Obviously, um, unlikely to qualify now, but but not impossible. So. Um, I imagine that there'll be guys rested. I imagine that the likes of Underhill will um, will will sit it out. But I imagine it'll be a fairly strong team to take on Clermont mm. because um, you know, as, as we'll come on to, if their form away um, at Ulster is anything to to go by, then you know we have actually got a genuine chance against them um, on Friday. Um, if that doesn't go to plan, then you know we're well and truly out of Europe, and we should be looking at that as a as a developmental competition. Um, you know, we'll be away to Clermont and then have those those two games there, mm. um, and all focus then will shift to the to the Premiership, and it'll be pretty full on from that point onwards. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, how how team selection looks because I think you know with such an intense run of games, that'll probably um, probably inform which players are are, are going to be involved, and hopefully we we get a little bit of consistency. Um, in guys starting um, across those Premiership games. Yeah, I think you're spot on about certainly the Clement ones and also potentially about the follow- the final two pool games against Harlequins and Ulster, which are sandwiched around that Gloucester away game, which I spoke about. And I've got the details now. So it is Leicester at the wreck, then Worcester at six ways, Harlequins at home, Bristol at home. So that does seem to me, before we go then to Sandy Park, obviously a really tough fixture. So that does seem to be a run of games in and around these these Champions Cup games, which, as you say, we, we, we've we probably not, not able to qualify. So as you, as you rightly point out, Tom, not to repeat what you're saying, that will influence team selection. Um, just before, go on. Yeah, so another two things I feel like that are going to influence team selection was going to be my nice segue is is both Bath United and the latest injury update that that, that, that we've kind of received. Uh, Bath United, Tom, talk us through uh, your thoughts on this loss again to Saracens, but some positives. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think it's twenty six thirty three. Um, this was the the opening game in the in the Premiership Rugby Shield. Um, I believe it's called, um, and, and we, we put on a much better display than than the first team did. Again, against a relatively strong Saracens team, um, you know, Reese Kerry, Joe Gray, um, that massive um, uh, 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 sort of um, second row prospect um, brothers, the, the Kapoku brothers, um, you know, so a, a decent uh, a Saracens pack in particular, and a very young Bath side. Um, with some guys that we've mentioned, so George Warboys, uh, Tom de Glanville, Gabe Hammer-Webb, Ollie Fox, um, and then also some some guest players 
um, uh, uh, making the making their appearances as well. Um, then some more senior guys sort of in the in the front five potentially to um, you know to match those match those Saris guys. So um, a very exciting front row: Will Vaughan, um, Tom Doherty, and Sam Nixon. Um, Levi Douglas, who's a player that we've we've mentioned a few times, how how impressed we've been with him. Um, he was starting in the second row for. Uh, for, for Bath, so yeah, a strong, a strong team, and quite an exciting team with you know a few of those guys graduating from from the academy. And I think if we'd you know as as, as is often the case with Bath, if we'd come out um, a little bit quicker, um, if we hadn't let sort of Saracens get ahead of us ahead of us in the in that first half, we would have stuck. We would have stood um, a massive chance. There was uh, you know a few really nice looking tries, um, and I'd urge you to go on the Bath Rugby Twitter um, and watch sort of the short highlights. Um, if if you can, a fantastic break from Gabe Hammer Webb to offload to to Tom De Glamble, who, who who showed some pretty impressive pace, as we know he's got to to score. So yeah, you know, looked fairly shell shocked in the opening sort of twenty minutes or so, conceded uh, a couple of tries, and ultimately went down nineteen nil. Um, so to come back for to twenty six thirty three, um, you know, as all good coaches, as all my coaches certainly used to say, when when you lost the game. You won, we won the second half. <laughs> yeah, often the case with, with some of the teams that you're in, Tom. But yeah, uh, I guess as we we said, well, I, I was only, I was only playing in the second half. Admittedly, so, uh, <laughs> only for the last ten minutes, if I was lucky. <laughs> Um, I think with this sort of, we said last season with these Bath United games, it's often individual performances that you're looking out for. Like like with preseason, it's often not the 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 final result which which is of importance. And as you'd say, Tom, two guys that um, there's definitely a joke there about Tom De Glanville and Gabriel Hammerweb uh, being the standout performances for Bath United and us two doing this podcast. I promise you, it isn't. We're not Tom De Glanville and Gabe Hammerweb, but uh, we're nowhere near as good as they were they are um but i can't think of the joke but yeah goes guys like that hopefully then graduating and taking that experience and confidence uh gabraham webb in particular i read was a, was a, was a standout on the day and, and de glanville yeah. a guy who who has been a standout now for a couple of seasons in bath united bath under 18 team so so two guys there that, to, to watch out for certainly and uh, and yeah look at those highlights follow these games and if you can get to the wreck them, yeah. it was on a yeah, away on Saturday but if I hadn't been I, I certainly would have would have gone four o'clock on a Saturday perfect timing mm. um, I believe they are they're usually free entry to to go in and watch so absolutely if you're in if you're in the sort of Bath area get down and and support these boys because you know gee this is this is quite exciting just finally on this because you know in the last few seasons I think the you know the Bath United the, the Premiership Shield um, has kind of been um, a bit of a stomping ground for injured players or guys that just aren't necessarily, you know, making the cut for whatever reason, but but you know have have got a few seasons under the belt in, in first team rugby. Whereas because of the the academy graduates that we've we've had come through, and mm. um, because of kind of the profile of, of some of the squads and ultimately the club's increasing ambition on um, or increasing emphasis on on the academy, you know, we're seeing a, a bit of a, a team come together here that I think will probably be playing. You know, most of the season together. Mm. So you know, this is kind of a lot of what the team is gonna is gonna look like. Uh, the first thing gonna look like in a, in a few season times. So we're gonna see these guys um, sort of starting to get more more game time. Um, we should mention the three guys selected for England under twenty. Mm. Um, so that was Max Ajomo, um, Gabe Hammerweb, and George Warboys. Um, 
Oh no, Nahim Merrigan, wasn't it? The number eight. Yes, the American, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So those guys selected. So these guys, you know, are, 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 are the future of the club. And um, yeah, just, uh, I guess, a bit of a call to, to get down and, and, and support them. Yeah, I, on that, Tom, I think it is free entry with a, a £2 donation recommended. So an absolute bargain. And we should get down there to one, actually, Tom, sort of slightly. Yeah. Of, of the, we should definitely do that. Because uh, well, I mean, sorry, we don't want to keep going on about this point. But last time we went to a, a Monday night Bath United game, we saw uh, the great our first sighting of, of Big Mac and Tries, Rory McConaughey. So, yeah, the future of the club, as you say, and yeah, definitely, definitely encourage people to go down because it's a fantastic night. No cues for the bar as well. Finally, then, before we look ahead to the visit of Clement Auvergne, Tom, a quick injury update, a brief injury update, because at the moment, that's all we're getting uh, in the media. And that's an update on Zach Mercer and Charlie Alls, both with knee injuries, as to seems to be always the case with Bath players at the moment. Neither requiring surgery, though, which is a positive. Watson also not requiring surgery on his knee injury. I think Mercer, two to three months. Alls, four to five months, if I read that right. Obviously, we've spoken about how big losses the, these guys are. Merce with his performances on the pitch, those three out of the six tries we, we've already scored, and, and yours with his increasingly important leadership, Tom. Huge, I huge losses. I didn't realise yours was, was four to five months. That is, a, yeah, that is a, an absolutely massive, massive loss. Um, you know, obviously, good news that the three of them don't, don't require surgery, having seen the, seen the specialist, because uh, yeah, as we've spoken about, that is at least at least a season out of the game and, and massive rehab potentially sort of recurring problems mm. as well but it's yeah it's, it's massively disappointing and when you look at Anthony Watson coming back sort of chomping at the bit in his in his first game mm. um, he'll be back in the new year by the sounds of it by which point you know the England wider squads will be being selected for the Six Nations he'll be going away and doing that um, he'll be um, and then ultimately he'll be playing in the Six Nations and probably not back after after he's had a rest <laughs> after that until until April time. Which, that is that's the reality of it. He'll probably yeah. come back with um, with a broken knee as well that we weren't aware of as <laughs> as Cogniciga did. But um, so we're not going to see Watson much in in a bath shirt this season. Doesn't sound like we'll see much of of Charlie Yules. Um, it'll be interesting to see who kind of assumes the the leadership on the on the field going forwards. I would like to see it be someone like Elliot Stuke or or mm. Tom Elliot. Um, I think those guys do deserve a run and and kind of epitomise what 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 we're all about. Um, and then Zach Mercer obviously is is a massive loss for for all the reasons we've um, we've spoken about. I'll just turn one one back to you, Gene. This was something I saw. Sorry, Tom. Before you do a, a correction, both of them out for for two to three months. Okay. I, I don't know where I was getting the four to five on. Apologies. When you said that, I thought I'd check and have checked both out for two to three months. So still yeah. disappointing. Go on. Well, yeah, I guess a couple of points. So the first one being around around clarity, it, it does seem um, Stuart Hooper's really reticent to, to give any information um, about players returning. Um, I think that the reason um, that I saw for that, um, and I think it was a message that, that we had into our um, our Twitter um, account, G, was just because he thinks that, that there's an advantage to, to opposing clubs um, for, to, to release that information. But I think the, the impact of not keeping the supporters up to date and the frustrations that, that that causes, for me, is um, it's it, it probably more than more than offsets that. And, you know, players and, 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 and coaches at different clubs are going to hear about other players. You know, they're all ultimately, a lot of them are mates, a lot of them play together at various clubs or are involved um, with age groups or internationals. Um, they all know 
um, who who um, you know how the players are getting on and and who's favoured and who's coming back when and where. You know, I met um, Tom Wilson, one of the the, the Saracens hooker, um, who's out with um, who's out with injury at the moment after after the game on Friday, and he was talking quite freely about a lot of the Bath players. He was actually very positive. Uh, about a lot of the Bath players and thinks that you know we're one of the teams in the Premiership with the most potential. But he knew exactly what was going on with Charlie Yules. He knew exactly what was going on with um, you know with Anthony Watson. And and you know you can't keep this stuff under wraps. So I think Stuart Hooper just um, needs, as was so encouraging last season, to um, be a bit more open to to the media and and ultimately to to his supporters because, like you say, he's come under some some criticism already. And I really want to get behind him, but um, I just wish that. Um, he would he'd be a bit more um, a bit more forthcoming with that kind of thing. Yeah, I think what you're referring to there, Tom, is is George Winton getting in touch with us on our Facebook page, and that's saying that a friend of mine, so a friend of George's, mailed Bath Rugby recently to complain about the lack of information about player availabilities, injuries, etc. And he was told it was deliberate that the club felt that giving out such information gave advantages to our opponents. And George adds, sounds like paranoia to me. Perhaps Hooper just doesn't want to su- suffer criticism for his team selections. No, nah, that, that's a cop-out for me. I, I don't believe that, that that's the reason. As I say, everyone knows everyone else's is business. It's, um, um, yeah, it's a small world, Premiership Rugby Union. Players move around all the time. Players meet each other all the time. Um, I, I just think it's an excuse that's used not to... Um, not to give supporters kind of the information that, that they want and, and deserve. Yeah, I think we're, we're sort of big on that. And a lot of Bath fans are kind of crying out to find out where these guys are. And we recognise that rotation happens, but just a bit of clarity, as you say, Tom, something that we've we've kind of, the point we've laboured. So so let's move on, Tom, to, to talk about, to, to, to review another Friday night game for Bath at the Wreck, uh, the visit of Clement. And... I guess it's a, a, a massive cliche. What what is going to be my analysis of this, and and I think what a lot of analysis in the week is going to be, but it really kind of does depend on what Clermont team turns up, and it, I guess on the basis of a lot of their away performances this season, particularly that one away against Ulster in the Champions Cup, suggests that the Claremont team that is going to turn up, we hope turns up, is one that is a shadow of that side, which which almost took the competition by storm by blowing Harlequins away 53 points to 21 in that first game week. Uh, I, I mentioned that the 18-13 defeat against Ulster. But kind of to highlight, the 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 the, the, the topsy turvy nature of, of this Clement Averne uh, team. So previous to that 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 Ulster defeat and and Quinn's win, it went a loss away to Toulouse, then a win at home against Lyon, then a loss away against Bordeaux, and then a win at home against Montpellier. Uh, and they do seem to be a completely different side away from from the Stade Marcel Michelin. Tom. Yeah, absolutely. It's um. It's a wild West encounter in the southwest um, on Friday. <laughs> um, to be honest with you, they are um, as as so many French teams, but even more so, it seems unbelievably volatile. Yeah, an absolute um, hammering of of Quinns a couple of weeks ago at, at their place, seven points on them, made you know um, a lot of uh, you know admittedly out of form, but but top English players look like absolute mugs, um, and then go on the road to to Ulster, which. Um, admittedly, is a, is a different, uh, you know, it's a difficult place to go and, and win, um, and just didn't fancy it from from the first whistle. To be honest, looked completely out of sorts and, and a shadow of, of of what they'd been 
uh, the previous week, and it was you know it's pretty much the the same team as well. And mm. you know I think when players uh, you know the, the the players they they've got so Alvaretti, Raka, Fritz, Lee, Paselli, Yato, those guys when they get a bit of confidence, they're they're pretty unstoppable to be honest, and they'll they'll beat any team. But equally, um, when their backs are against the wall. Um, you know, I, I would question how much they really, um, really <laughs> want to go through that pain barrier to, 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 to get the result. And we saw that against uh, against Ulster. So, yeah, it's um, as always on this podcast, to be honest with you, it's anyone's guess. Uh, There's quite a, an amusing um, uh, a, a, a post I saw on, on social media that the Barford, I don't know if this was, uh, this was legit, but Barford kind of put up a sign no. on the road. <laughs> Saying that Raka and Yato weren't weren't welcome weren't welcome on the pitch, uh, so um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if if if, if that feeds through to team selection, um, which again is anyone's guess in, in French rugby. Um, yeah, the reality is, Mate, that just if we if we turn up with a similar kind of attacking game as we've shown all season, then they only need kind of two moments of brilliance mm. from from one of those guys, and and it's game over for us. So. It's gonna be a. It's probably gonna be a difficult one, um, and you know, unfortunately, we're very much reliant on um, on on them just not turning up. Basically, if if we're gonna win, that's kind of how I see it. Unfortunately, yeah, that's definitely uh, been um, photoshopped, altered by by. I think it was Rugby Pass that put that out on their Facebook page. There is a keep off the pitch sign uh, at the wreck, but there's not keep off the pitch Alavetti Racker uh, uh, and, and whoever the other one was. They've definitely docked that. So well, I thought that would be kind of they've got to be competing with the likes of Bristol um, and and and, um, and mm. other well, particularly Bristol social media channels. Uh, yeah, we want to be. Um, Re-establishing the fact that we're we're the number one team in the southwest. I thought that was maybe a um, a clever little a clever little ploy from from the media team, but yeah, maybe not looking back. Um, yeah, uh, but I, uh, the rest of your 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 point, Tom. I, I think you're right. I, I think Bath at the moment are, are quite consistent, a quite consistent team. I do feel like we 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 sort of know what we're going to get. We're going to be okay in defence. Probably give away one or, or two tries, but hold our own in that department. Look to dominate in the scrum at the set piece. Have a solid set piece. That's not going to let us down. And then have a turgid attack. And I think that's been the the recipe for 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 Bath's performances all season. So I think in that way you kind of know. What you're going to get from Bath, and therefore, the the game is going to come down to, to to how well Clement perform, how well Clement start. I think is absolutely key to this game because if they start with a couple of free flowing tries and, and and get on the front foot and and, and realise that this game is absolutely there for the taking. If we were doing a Clement Overeem podcast on, I'd be saying. This game is absolutely there for the taking. Bath are not very good and we should go and absolutely crush them. I think the start of the game in that respect is absolutely crucial for, for Clermont Auvergne. And if they can get a couple of early tries, then I, I think it could be a really long night. Alternatively, if we can start well, which we have occasionally done and assert a little bit of dominance in the set piece, that's ultimately the, the, the game plan for success as it is so often with Bath and, and I'm actually going on Friday night another trip to, another Friday night trip to the wreck for me and I obviously can't wait to, to go I love going to the wreck even when, when the performances are pretty dire but I think I'll be having sort of fingers crossed you were going with bad grace last week I'll be going with fingers crossed for, for, for a terrible game so I think that's the recipe for, 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 for some success for Bath I, I think the yeah I'm not I'm not sure I agree with your assessment on the set piece though they are they are absolute monsters um, for that front five. I think uh, I think their scrum against Ulster was something like 900 and 
39 kilos, something like that. But I... I, I I, th- I think in that Ulster game, Tom, maybe not the scrum, but I think Ulster asserted their dominance, particularly in the moor, and looked like they were bullying some of some of those massive, I agree, uh, French or uh, Georgian or uh, Clermont forwards. Uh, I think it, it appeared to me like, yeah, they may have not had the push in the scrum, but but they were allowed to, to assert dominance in other areas of, of, of the set piece, from, from what I saw. The, the driving mall has been a, an area of real frustration in, in, in the last couple of seasons, um, to, to be honest. I mean, at mm. times we've sort of executed it well, but, but when it matters, um, mm. when it matters, it's sort of, uh, it, it's been broken down sort of all too, all too easy. So that might be an area, um, you know, you're right, that, that they've seen and that this week they'll, they'll, be, they'll be focusing on extra hard. Uh, I think the only kind of... Uh, it's set to rain on Friday as well. <laughs> I'll bear that in mind when I when when I'm off to the rack. It obviously, it's what, good. Neil Hatley, Neil Hatley will still be in a t-shirt. Though. I couldn't believe that. I put a, put a picture on. Everyone was freezing. It was one degree, but there was um, there was some windshield there, and he was just cruising around, admittedly in the tracksuit bottoms, um, but yeah, just just in a t-shirt. And he yeah, he looked. If anything, he looked warm. Um, <laughs> he was, uh, yeah. <laughs> If you were cold, you should have asked him to to, to pull a, a Levi Davis and, and, and taken his top off you and add that for a bit more warmth. He's got to be vaccinated, hasn't he? Wow, I, he has. You are right. I think that he has been been voted out. Yeah, so. he, he has been. To be fair. So okay. I, I, I hope he's at least got a back in back in training of some description. It would be nice to see him 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 run out for for, for the Bath United game mm. game. To be honest, but. Um, but yeah, no, we'll leave it on that. Yeah, I think the only variable, and kind of linked to, to, to Levi, is the only variable from Bath's point of view is that team selection. And, and, and I guess I feel like if we're going to rest players in one of these, this double header against Claremont, it will come next week. I think that travel element and it being on a Sunday in the return fixture kind of suggests to me that that will be the game. That, that, that we choose to send maybe a slightly weakened team. But um, yeah, interesting to see the bar team selection. The only area I feel like where we kind of can have a variable say on this game, Tom. Uh, and before we kind of wrap it up, it's time now for, for, for my accountable prediction. And, uh, and given what we, we've spoken about, I guess it's going to have to come this week on Friday night against Clermont. And I think last season, my, one of my accountable predictions that was that we would beat Leinster either home or away. And that didn't come true. But I'm going back again. Uh, and I think we'll beat Clermont either home hopefully and maybe away probably not so Stuart and Clermont accountable predictions for, for us on this episode what's well, so the think we'll get one win against them we will win against Clermont in one of these double headers yeah yeah just on the selection point would you mm-hmm. what what any any particular changes so um, for me looking up front I'll, I'll, you know I'll like to see Sam Underhill given, given a rest to mm-hmm. be honest um, for, for the double header um, don't travel to, to France. Have a bit of a have a bit of time off. Train at Farley House. Kind of make sure everything, um, all the niggles are gone, and then come back into the Premiership campaign fresh and firing. Even um, don't. And then again, again Sorry. calling uh, the same thing as I've, I've said. Move Bayless to seven and bring back Mike Williams or Tom Ellis um, uh, in the six. Um, and, and 19 shirts respectively yeah I think even on Underhill there sorry Tom if I interrupt you but even on Underhill there, don't train at Farley House have have two weeks off you know relax don't play rugby for a little bit get, yeah, get keep, your... keep it ticking over keep it ticking over keep, fine get, keep it get him, get him seen all his niggles seen to 
you know, just let him relax and just enjoy his enjoy the lovely surroundings while everyone is um, everyone's slogging around uh, slogging around Clermont somewhere. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see where where we go at, at half back. I guess that the, the seesaw will turn back to, to to Burns and Cook, but but as you said, that's kind of anyone's guess at, at, at the moment. And uh, whether we give McConaughey a rest on this week, given he's been rushed straight back in, uh, Joseph, we're not really sure about his fitness. Uh, I think, as you say, Tom, the, the the team selection at the moment, given how little we know about the injuries of a lot of the the players in the Bath squad, is completely up in the air. So so it won't be long. Actually, it'll be probably on the day you're listening to this because we're recording a bit later on Wednesday it'll be on the Thursday where you'll know the team selection and that will give a good indication on on, on where this game potentially is going to go but uh, I do hope actually that, that we put a, a strong team out and, and, and give it a good go because as you say, as I said at the start Tom I do feel like this is potentially a, a, a winnable game um, so yeah really looking forward to it as I say I'm going on Friday night so so, so really looking forward to it Um that probably does us for, for a podcast. I haven't actually set a time this week, but that feels like a bit of a marathon. A lot to get, certainly off my chest. Great to catch up with you, Tom, uh, down the line, as always. Little, little prediction before we go? I guess it was 18-13 uh, when they visited Ulster. I, I'll, I'll go with 18-13 again. There's no way we can get above 22, so so, so, so that'll what, give so you that you advice. Bath 18-13. Well, I think we'll put in a good showing. Um, but I think they'll shade it, as I say, with a couple of couple of moments of moments of brilliance. Um, so I've got Ulster by Ulster by twelve. Ulster, Clermont by 12 that would be a very disappointing Friday night for me and a lot of other Bath fans that will undoubtedly make the trip again um, thank you very much for listening hope you enjoyed it uh, get in touch with us as always on Twitter Facebook and Instagram follow us there for all things Bath Rugby and Bath Rugby plug related I'll be tweeting and Instagramming from the game on Friday night so if you can't be there uh, and would like to keep up to date with what, what I'm doing what the boys are doing that, that, then do follow us on there and get in touch as always subscribe tell your mates but most importantly continue to support the boys in blue black and white We'll be back next week, next Monday, I think, back in our usual slot, building up to our big weekend away in Clermont Auvergne, Tom, something which I absolutely cannot wait for. We'll have podcasts after this Clermont game and then before live, not live, but from Clermont uh, leading up to that return fixture. Thanks for listening. Get in touch with us and enjoy the rugby. Thanks, Tom. Cheers.